between legalism and judging that affects how we view and treat one another. Uh, and one of the things that's been interesting to me through the years is to observe people as well as to study classes and uh, uh, different subjects that people tend to gravitate toward types of legalism that fit their personality, that fit their temperament. In other words, we tend to move toward rules and regulations that we can keep. They appeal to us. And as a, as a result of that, um, we tend to look down upon people who have a different set of rules and requirements. And this has to do a lot with, um, with just people's personalities and temperament. Uh, some people are, and I'm going to relate this to business for a moment, some people are entrepreneurs. One of the things about an entrepreneur is uh, they're a person with big ideas and they're risk takers. If you try to fit an entrepreneur in a uh, bureaucratic box, that does not work well at all for them. Uh, they want to kick down the walls and uh, get rid of the barriers so they can think out of the box. They want to, uh, you know, have ideas and move in directions and take risks that horrify other people. And then if you're of the temperament that uh, you like everything in order, you like uh, all the I's dotted and T's crossed, uh, you like all the files organized just so you have one of those desks where everything is placed squared to the edges and you keep it all neat and you have your boxes for all the little things to go in and your uh, world is more comfortable when it's extremely well ordered and you love the rules. You, you enjoy following the requirements. That, that gives you great pleasure to come to the end of the day and say, I did everything on my to-do list today. I, I accomplished all my expectations today. Now, the problem comes not that there's two different kinds of people, the problem comes with the fact that those two different kinds of people think the other one is not necessary. In fact, they think the other one is wrong. And so uh, the, the person, I'm going to say bureaucrat without necessarily meaning to give it a negative overture, but it may give you some insight into my personality. But anyway, um, if you come to the end of the day and... Uh, you got this person in the office that's just always ignoring the rules in their, in their planning and scheming and ideas. You have a tendency to say, that person is a jerk. They're wrong. They, they don't follow any of the requirements. They're, they're just a problem child here. Uh, we need to bring them in the line. 
And meanwhile, uh, they're of the opinion that you're constantly restricting me. You keep trying to put me in this box, and I hate this box. I want to get out of it. You just uh, want to keep all the rules, and you don't understand the creativity that has to go into moving forward. And so there's a tendency to be judgmental of one another. And we tend to gravitate toward the things that we find easiest to maintain in our lives depending on our personalities. The Pharisees and the Sadducees in the um, New Testament were the kind of people they were for a reason. And the people that wanted to aspire to the office of Pharisee were people that loved all the regulations. They loved all the rules. And Jesus said of them, you search the world over to make a single convert. And when you finally find somebody that can follow your requirements, you have turned them into twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You've made a mess of their lives because you have insisted that they follow your requirements. And so this morning I want to talk about uh, this tendency that we have to be judgmental. And I want to relate it to legalism because we tend to want to identify rules that make the most sense to us as individuals. They may not make sense to everybody in the room, but they make sense to you as an individual. And as a consequence, you want other people to conform to what makes sense to you. What seems reasonable to you as a Christian. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 5, he says, Do not judge. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Do not judge judge because you're going to end up being judged in the way and manner that you judge yourself you're going to find that that people treat you the way you treat them and and there's going to be an environment that is created that that I kind of call a toxic environment where people are always nitpicking at one another. Speaking of nitpicking, in that passage, Jesus says, Why do you say to your brother, Come over here and let me get that speck out of your eye. I, I, I see you're, you're constantly blinking your eye and it's a little red and watery and you must have something in it. So come over here and let me help you get that speck out. And he says, The problem is you've got a log in your eye. You know, I think Jesus had a sense of humor. He, he, he made his points. Can you see the cartoon that would go with that story? Um, you know, here's this guy trying to get this tiny speck out of another person's eye. And they've got this huge log that is keeping them even from reaching the eye that's just stuck in the way. And he says, first, get the log out of your own eye. 
And then you'll be able to see clearly how to help your brother get the speck that is out of his eye. Now, I think there's a relationship between the speck and the log. We tend to see in others the problems that we have in our own lives. The specks that we are most likely to notice are chips off the log that's in our eye. We tend to see others, ourselves in others. Those of you that are parents and you have more than one child, which one aggravates you the most? Have you ever thought about that? I have. It's the one most like me. The things that get done remind me of myself. It's like looking in a mirror and having neon signs around it saying, This is just like you, Dad. And it's like, ooh. So I get irritated with him. I won't tell you which one. You don't have to flip the coin. So I get irritated with him, but it's because he reminds me of the parts of me I don't like. Now that doesn't mean everything he does is aggravating, but when it usually when it does aggravate me, that's usually the reason. Because it's the thing that reflects my own issues. And friends, we have a tendency to want to nitpick with people that remind us of ourselves in ways that we don't like. Uh, and we make that judgment and, and we want to uh, fix them so they won't look like we do. <laughs> We think we've got everything well hidden. Ours is all under wraps. And they're exposing us. And we don't like what we see. Um, I remember when I was a uh, uh, sophomore in college, there was a guy in class. What an arrogant jerk. Gosh, every time I turned around... He was running off of the mouth, raising his hand, acting like a know-it-all. He drove me nuts. And um, I was praying about him one day because it just irritated me. Every time he'd open his mouth, he irritated me. And I was praying about that. And God said very clearly to me, Paul, do you know why he aggravates you so much? He reflects you. You think you've got your arrogance under cover. You think you've got your know-it-all attitude carefully shrouded, but he exposes you to yourself. I, I know I didn't come across the same way, but he reminded me of what went on inside of me. And the reason he got under my skin so much is he was under my skin. 
And I had to come to repentance over that. That my judgment of him was because he reminded me of me. And friends, when we are inclined to judge one another, that's one of the first questions you ought to ask. How does that behavior remind me of me? In what way does that look like I look? Why is that getting on my nerves so much? Now that's not always the case. I mean, some people do things that you feel are wrong, and it's not because you do anything like them. But it's just because your set of rules says, I should not act like that and neither should they. And Jesus says, don't judge. Do not judge. Or you will be judged in the same way. And you will not like it. Um, Don't take the speck out of one another's eye until you've dealt with your own logs. Let the Holy Spirit do His work in you. Now, later on in this chapter, and I just am, basically this is a parenthesis, but later on in the chapter, Jesus uh, talks about fruit. You will know a tree by the fruit it bears. Uh, There, Jesus is telling us that not judging does not mean that we completely overlook discernment. We need to be able to recognize when people are off kilter. We need to be able to detect false teachers. We need to be able to detect people that are uh, way off the reservation. We, We need to be able to see that. But if we have already developed the right attitude, our spirit will not be one of judgmentalism as much as it will be one of prayerful desire to see that person change and to exhort them. And on occasion, you know, the scripture says, um, if, uh, if you've got a false teacher in your midst and, and uh, you've warned them a couple of times and they're creating problems and trouble and bringing division within the church, and you've given them a couple of chances, you need to put them out of the church and have nothing more to do with them. There are times when we have to have tough love. But we need to make sure that it's tough love. And not just our own arrogant self-righteousness. It ought to break our hearts when other people fail. We should not take joy in the tragedy of other people's failings. It should grieve us. And it should bring us to a place where we will be willing to pray for them. So having said that, do not judge Jesus' message to us. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 14 because I want to spend... um, the bulk of my time here in Romans 14. This is probably the main passage in Scripture on the subject of judging and the weaker and the stronger brother. 
Paul says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he can eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, to his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, you have to have a little bit of context to, to, to get this. Paul is writing to the Roman church, and the Roman church is comprised of two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. Both of them are together in the Roman church. And the, the people who come from Jewish backgrounds and those who were proselytized into Judaism have a tendency to still adhere to the Old Testament dietary uh, laws, Sabbath rules, all those kinds of things. That, that to them is a part of their worship of God. In fact, if you ask a, a, a devout Jew today, how do you worship God? What is the method of worshiping God? They will tell you, keeping His law. Keeping the law is how you worship God. Now this is the background of many in the congregation at Rome. On the other hand, there are many Gentiles who have come to faith in Christ. And they have no such background. They were not raised as Jews. They didn't come up under the law. They don't have any inhibitions. Pork is just another kind of meat. Uh, they don't have a problem with that. Meat sacrificed to idols in the marketplace. Most meat was sacrificed to idols in the marketplace. The, the seller of the, you know, ribeye steaks <laughs> had sacrificed his cow to the idols of his worship as a thank offering for giving him the ability to make money and then brought it to the marketplace to sell it. And he's a pagan, but here the believer goes and it doesn't bother him to buy that meat. But the Jew is horrified. This was meat sacrificed to idols. We can't touch that. That's terrible. That's offensive to God. And Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, it doesn't make any difference to me. He says, meat's meat, and there aren't, there's no such thing as idols and so forth. So he says, I'm not worried about that. But he said, if I go to the home of a Jew who won't touch it, I'm not going to touch it. And if I go shopping with Jewish believers, and they're still under the law, I'm not going to buy this meat in their presence. But he says, if I'm invited to the home of a Gentile, I'll eat whatever they put in front of me, because I know it doesn't make any difference. 
You see, Paul has come to freedom. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this passage, and, and here's the hard pill to swallow, folks. If your faith in God is expressed through the rules and regulations that you feel essential to follow, you are the weaker Christian. You're the weaker Christian. And if your faith in God has no fences or barriers, you're the stronger Christian. See, and, and that's, uh, we don't like to hear that. We think the strong one is the one that keeps all the rules, and the weak one is the one that hadn't learned any better yet. But the truth is, the Scripture says, the one who tries to live by law is weak. And the one who is free from law is strong. Because they rely on the Spirit. And the one who is weak is trying in their own flesh to please God. And it doesn't work very effectively. And so Paul ends this section by saying, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words... Every person answers to God. And God knows what He's doing. (laughs) Did you you know that? (laughs) God knows what He's doing. He knows how He's working in a person's life. And we stand or fall before God. And God Himself is the one who is able to make us stand. Uh, Friend, what that means essentially is God will speak to us through His Spirit about what we should and shouldn't do. And in a a moment I'm going to move into progressive sanctification or day by day becoming more like Jesus. And God Himself knows what the next step is. I don't know what God's working on in Carissa's life. I have no idea. Nor does she know what God is doing in my life. And so for me to try to take the role of the Holy Spirit and tell her what I think she ought to do next to become like Christ, I may be way off base. And here's the thing, we tend to want to project onto others the way God has worked with us. God begins to deal with our heart and we say, well, that's the rule for everybody. God's convicted me of it, so I need to spread the word. This is God's rule. No, it isn't. That's the way God is dealing with you. Because that's what you need right now in order to be more like Jesus. We have outward behavior, we have thoughts, and we have attitudes. 
And God knows where and when and how those need to be tweaked to make us look more like Jesus. And they're going to be different in a different order and different stages for every person. Okay? I keep wanting to use illustrations, and I realize they're all flawed, so I won't go there. But um, So let's look at the next section, verse 5. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He observes the day, observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who does not eat for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. Now we're talking about the Sabbath day in this case. Uh, There's a magazine that I enjoy getting. It's called Ministry. And I like the articles. They're, they're, They're really good articles, except every once in a while. But the magazine is published by the Seventh-day Adventist. And um, they're really a, a very good group. And if you follow, the, they follow the Old Testament dietary laws, and they're big on healing. And so they're relatively healthy people. However, they believe that The day of worship is Saturday, the Sabbath, and you must worship on Saturday and you need to keep the law. Now, they're not legalists in the sense that they exclude the atonement of Christ. I believe that they are true believers, but they have legalism mixed in in a rather formal way. We tend to mix it in in an informal way, but they have this formal way of mixing it in. And so the Sabbath is their day of worship, because that's what the Old Testament said. And for these to whom Paul is writing at, at Rome, there are some who insist on keeping the Sabbath. They don't cook on the Sabbath. They don't gather wood on the Sabbath. They don't... Uh, walk any further than the distance to the place of worship on the Sabbath. They have all of these requirements. And Paul says to the person who believes that that's the way they ought to live, that's where they are. That's their mindset at the moment. But for those who treat every day alike, in other words, they don't Hold the Sabbath as being sacred. It's just Saturday or Sunday. Do they gather for worship? Of course they do. Do they gather for prayer? Of course they do. Are they a part of the family and body of Christ? Yes, they are. But they do not consider that the Sabbath is holy uh, over any other day. I remember growing up, and uh, we were not allowed to uh, play ball on Sunday. We didn't do any housework on Sunday. We didn't mow on Sunday. 
we didn't do we didn't wash the car on Sunday. Um, these were this was the way that I was raised. This was my family background. Uh, we cooked on Sunday because we like to eat, but but a lot of these other things we we didn't do. Um, I I think part of the ball playing was not so much working on the Sabbath as it was. Um, Mom and Dad wanted to take a nap. They didn't want the noise. But anyway, that was that was another matter. Um, you could read the paper. You could read a book. You could do something quietly in your room. But you could not make noise. You couldn't play. You could. Is that biblical? It's not biblical. That's just the rules of my family and my extended family. Everybody was like that. My aunts and uncles and my cousins. That's how we were raised. But Paul makes it plain that we must be convinced in our own mind about our behavior. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. In other words, we need to be looking not at one another, but at God. When we look at one another and compare ourselves with one another, we are very foolish. We need to realize that we rise or fall before God and one day we will give answer to God and that's our relationship that matters. The question is not uh, how much do I look like uh, Tammy or Norm or Carissa or Bob or whomever, how do I look compared to them? The question is how do I look compared to Jesus? That's the question. And that's the one that I need to be concerned about. Not how you're living, but how I'm living in relationship to Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say it in verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Did you catch that? Nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves uh, Christ and is acceptable to God 
and approved by men. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves. What is the message there? This is another hard pill to swallow. You may have freedom. Let me ask you a question because Paul mentions it here. Does the Bible say that you should not get drunk? Hello? Okay. The Bible says you should not get drunk. Does the Bible say you should never have a drink? It does not. So the question is, is it right or wrong to have a drink? Well, there's nothing unclean in itself. But if you're with someone who believes it's sin, you are not to drink. Because your freedom is putting a stumbling block in your weaker brother's way. And you don't want to do that. You don't know but what it took them years to get over alcoholism and they're finally sober. And now they've become a Christian and they come to church and you go out to dinner and you order wine with your meal. And can Christians do that? Doesn't seem to cause you any trouble. Maybe I can have a drink. And now they're back in the pit. Because they have a different problem than you have. You see what I'm saying about the progressive sanctification? God knows what you need to fix. And he knows what your brother or sister needs to fix. And they're not always the same thing. There are believers who absolutely cannot touch alcohol, period, nor should they ever. And the Holy Spirit will direct them if they're open to Him. And there are others who can have a drink and not be caught in its clutches. And they don't crave it and they don't do it to drown their sorrows or to cope with depression or solve pain problems, and they move on without any effect. Jesus certainly lived that way. But friend, if it's going to create a problem, you should not put it in front of your brother or sister because it's a stumbling block. If you can go to the meat market and buy the meat that's sacrificed to idols and take it home and have a good steak on the grill... (laughs) and you invite over your Jewish neighbors who are new in the faith, and they can't eat that, you are causing offense 
to a brother or sister and damaging their walk with God because they're either going to eat it and feel like they're sinning or they're going to judge you for eating it. There are some freedoms that you should have to yourself and reserve for a smaller company of believers who have the same freedoms. Do you know what I'm saying by that? I'm not creating a double standard here. I'm saying we need discernment because if we, for the sake of our freedom, cause the destruction of a brother or sister in their faith, we are guilty and responsible. And we need to be very careful about that. And so... Paul says, and and this is key, and I'm going to let you read number three on your own this week, but this is key. Verse 23, whatever is not of faith is sin, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever's not of faith is sin. Do you know when you shouldn't do something? When you're not sure if you should. When you have that little question mark in your mind, I don't know if this is right. It may be right. But you're not convinced right now. And if you go ahead and exercise your liberty... Contrary to your conscience, you're sinning before God. Our consciences, friends, need sanctifying, okay? They're damaged. They're not always accurate. People struggle with false guilt. People ignore real guilt. Our consciences have problems, but the Holy Spirit is there to heal it, to fine-tune it, to give us His voice in the midst of our experiences. And if you have that check in your spirit that says, don't do that, then you better not do that. You've been shopping for a car for a long time, and you go to the dealer, and here's just exactly what you were looking for, and you're ready to sign and you get that little voice don't buy this car and now you're in a quandary can I can't I what what should I do answer don't it may be fine but in your heart you have a doubt And if you violate that, you're sinning. Wait until God has given you an absolutely clear conscience about the matter. For one thing, He knows things you don't know. (laughs) Ever think of that? (laughs) He may be trying to save you from a disaster, and, and you don't know that. There may be another one just like that, some other place, that's not going to have the problem. I don't know. 
I, I'm kind of a silly person in that. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm not silly. I'm, I have prayed over every automobile I've ever gotten. Every single one I've asked God's guidance. And a lot of other things. It's the things I don't pray about that I get in trouble with. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Faith means you have confidence. You have confidence. This is the right thing to do. This is the wrong thing to do. You have confidence. But if you move without confidence, you're, you're sinning. <laughs> My back is sinning against me. <laughs> So you have to keep that in mind. Next week we're going to now take a look at what it means to be led by the Spirit in all matters of our lives. What to do, what not to do, how to know the voice of the Holy Spirit so that we can can walk in freedom. And, and I mentioned this in the, in the last paragraph of your outline, but but I want you to imagine that you're standing on a plateau and there's a fence around it two feet from the edge. And, and you can go anywhere on that plateau inside that fence. In fact, you can run pell-mell into the fence if you want to and you're going to be safe. Or... Can you imagine out west in some beautiful scenery what it would be like to have a six-foot fence in front of you all the time? Or you're standing on a plateau and there's no fence. But as you begin to approach the edge, the Holy Spirit says, don't go any further. You see the difference between walking by the law and walking by the Spirit? The law draws the boundary and says you can't cross that. The Spirit guides us and says you need to stop here. And we don't need the fence. The behavior is going to be the same in many cases. But the freedom is that we're not pinned in. We're free in Christ. So next week we'll, we'll wrap this up.